0: Thank you.
1: Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox.
0: And I'm Lori Socks.
1: And today we're joined by Julia Taranzak. Julia is a twin, and her brother, Michael, has Down syndrome.
0: And she's also a delight. I'm so excited for the world that she is creating of awareness and advocacy and change in our community. So welcome, Julia Taranzak. Good morning, Julia.
2: Good morning. Happy Saturday. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, we're glad to have you on. Um, I I don't know how you guys connected. How did you guys connect?
2: Yeah, I
1: found an article online from a couple years ago and did like a Google search and then saw your blog and read it and went, well, this is the Julia I'm looking for. Let me just reach out and see if she's interested in talking.
0: Well, we're excited to have you because on a lot of the parent pages and, and pages about Down syndrome, one of the things that when someone receives their diagnosis, one of the first concerns they have is, what kind of effect is this going to have on my other children? And, you know, we have a daughter, and, and all we do is advocate for all the beautiful gifts that it brings. And so that conversation is so important, so parents understand, because I don't, I don't, I'm so interested in hearing your story, because I don't, I don't know what you experience, uh, but there's such a, a fear. And when parents receive a diagnosis, it's usually with a lot of uh, negativity, and it's pretty hopeless. And one of the main concerns is how that's going to affect the family dynamic. So we are so happy because h- how old are you?
2: I'm 24 right now. Both me and Michael and I are 24.
0: So you've been on this journey for 24 years. So you can give us some great insight and perspective. And also, you're a twin. Yep. Which is so cool. (laughs) That's even better. (laughs) I can't tell you. I can't wait till we get to the education part of this because I'm so interested to hear. So, why don't we start with um, tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah. So, I'm Julia. I am born and raised in San Diego. Don't think I'll ever leave here. The sunshine is beautiful and it's year round, it's perfect. And I always love to tell people I have a twin brother who. not speak to me in words but communicates through love better than anyone else that i know and my twin brother michael has down syndrome and is honestly my inspiration behind everything that i do i growing up together i think there are a few things that kind of i guess kept us really close and i think already being a twin we already had that twin connection i like so many people ask me are you telepathic did you can you read each other's minds And I feel like in a sense, like maybe I've become a little bit more intuitive or I've learned kind of read body languages a lot more because we kind of have our, our own little language and we have our own kind of sense of communication, the way that we do things. But we're still, both of us are in San Diego. I couldn't run away from home too far, but we have had such an amazing time staying connected, especially through school, through college, even through work life right now, it's still so great to still be connected to Michael.
0: And Michael is not living at home.
2: So Michael's currently, he's still living at home with my parents.
0: You're not living at home.
2: Yeah. So he's still with them. I moved away. So when I was looking for, especially when I was looking to go to college, I kind of thought, you know, maybe I'll go to Northern California. Like I kind of want to leave San Diego and kind of want to go somewhere different. And my junior year of high school, my mom went to Poland for a month to go visit our family, our whole family's from Poland. And when we went to go pick up my mom from the airport, Michael wouldn't even look at her. She came up to us, and he literally turned around. He wouldn't even look at her. Did he want to give her a hug? He didn't give her a hug for a full week. He was so upset that she was gone because we couldn't fully explain to him, like, "Hey, mom's a visiting family." He had no idea why my mom left, so he kind of thought, "My gosh, she just abandoned me. Like, where did she go?" And when I kind of saw that, I realized, like, how am I going to explain to him that I'm off to school for four years? And after that, I realized, you know, I should stay in San Diego. I love it here. So it wasn't really a big issue for me at all. And after school, I still live away on my own, but we still make the effort each week to still see each other. So Michael's still with my family. I'm over in San Diego and then I'm over by the beach. So we're only about 25 minutes away.
0: And he understands that you're just, you just moved out to go to school.
2: Yeah. I think by that, I mean, it was really difficult in the beginning. He would be so upset when I first see him. He wouldn't look at me. It would be the same thing, but in a little more minute scale. Like he wouldn't look at me the first 10, 15 minutes I was there. He'd be really upset and just be kind of, it'd be a really difficult feeling because I could tell that he wasn't really happy and he was really upset with me. And then the biggest thing that we did is we would start going to the ocean. My dorm was only about 10 minutes away from the beach. So we ended up going to the beach. And I think being by the water and seeing, especially seeing and hearing the ocean waves were very calming for him. And I think that was one way to kind of keep him grounded, but I was also kind of one way that we stayed really connected. And we, I think after, you know, like I said, after the 15 minute period was over where he got a little upset, that's where we got to really spend our time together. And that's where we still got to be connected. And it got better and better over the few years. Like I think the first few months, every time he was going back in the car, he would have tears in his eyes. Like it was really heartbreaking to watch him leave. And then I'd say probably by year four, he he'd usually just slam the car door instead. <laughs> but now, I mean, he totally gets that, you know, we only see each other a little bit less frequently, but it's definitely a completely different reaction than it was back when we were in school or rather when I was in school.
1: And as a twin, what's your feeling when you leave him?
2: It's hard, you know, cause I, I know that I can't be with him at all times. Like I still have to live my own life and I still get to do the things that I want to do. And it's. It's okay for me to do those without Michael around all the time, but it also, you know, and it, it does break my heart a little bit because I want to explain to him like, hey, I'll be back soon. Hey, we're going to hang out. Like, I'm not leaving you forever. So that part does get difficult, but I think knowing, and you know, it was my personal choice to stay local. I think a lot of people always ask, like, you know, you don't have to stay with him all the time. You don't need to live around the same area. But I think we've been fortunate and blessed enough to be born where we were because I don't really want to leave personally. Even if Michael wasn't in the picture, I don't think I'd want to leave anyway. I think we've worked it out pretty well.
0: And you said Michael's nonverbal?
2: Yes. So he's completely nonverbal. So I think the only words I've ever really heard him say are maybe like hooray. And that's about it.
0: Can you explain what that is? So when you two were young, and your speech is developing? Was it just that your speech developed and then his did not develop his his expressive language?
2: Yeah, so I'd say probably when we were about like a year, year and a half old, Michael would start kind of babbling a little bit, kind of like babies do, you know, trying to work on their words. And I think he was seeing a speech therapist at the time as well. And then he kind of, once he got to maybe like a year and a half, the two year mark, it kind of just slowly started fading away. The main thing we hear from Michael is he hum a lot. And that's kind of the main things that we get. So when it comes to communication, I feel like, you know, maybe the word aspect isn't there anymore. The typical way that you and I might communicate. So instead after, like I said, I have to really rely on the body language, the facial expressions, really trying to see, okay, how, how does his face look? Does he seem happy? Does he seem sad? You know, if I'm around Michael, Michael can definitely tell about other people's feelings. I think he's also pretty, feel like he has a lot of empathy and he can sense the way that someone else is feeling. He knows if I'm happy, he knows if I'm sad, he knows if I'm angry, he completely understands if I were to share a story with him, I don't know if he would understand the full story. That's something where I'm not, I I know I'm not confident enough to say like, Oh yes, he totally understands if I explained him what I did during my day, he'd know, but he could definitely get the feelings of what I'm saying. And I have to be very mindful about my body language And my communication to make sure that it is positive and uplifting in the times that it needs to be.
0: When you say you have to be careful that your body language is uplifting when it needs to be, why?
2: I think some people can be a little bit more aggressive than they mean to be or a little bit more sharp or tense maybe. I'm personally, I'm never like that. I feel like I'm a much more bubbly kind of person but I think, you know, Michael is very, very sensitive to how you speak to him, to how you communicate to him. And especially like he hates being around little kids who are screaming. So even if we'd be at the ocean, he'd hear if he hears like a baby crying next to him or little kids screaming, he kind of like takes it upon himself. And I forget, I think there's a special term for it that I'm blanking on right now. But I think it's a um, And some sort of sensitivity that I think a lot of kids who have autism also start to experience. I know we've, we've had a lot of people give us feedback that Michael might also have a little bit of autism as well, because he does, he's so sensitive to noises. He's very sensitive to sounds. And especially if someone's aggressive, he'll start to get really upset and he'll literally start to like, either like hit himself or get really upset because he thinks that it's aimed at him when it might be someone who's completely dissociated from a party that has nothing to do with us. But he has no idea about that.
0: Yeah, you know, autism is one of the things that some people with Down syndrome also will have autism. So that's not uncommon. Um, I was just, when you were talking about you have to be just more mindful, in uh, my mind, I was thinking, what a gift that is to you and to the world. Because, you know, a lot of times... I'm with a a group of adults who are just aggressive and passive aggressive. And you know what I mean? Their, their words don't match their actions and their tone. And I'm thinking what a gift that is to you that ingrained in you is just being a better human, even if it's just the mindfulness that you have on how you communicate, but also what does that do for you going into the world? Because teachers relationships and in a store anywhere you're pretty in tune right with how people are communicating
2: absolutely thank you so much for your feedback that is so kind of you and I mean I love that you asked that because it can be really difficult and I've had had to really learn over the last few years like I'm super critical of myself to begin with and I know a lot of us have really mean inner critics And when it came to like going and speaking with other people, like it's taken me so long to realize like just because someone's tone came off harsher than the way I would say it doesn't mean that they're angry, doesn't mean that they mean poorly. It's just some people have very different styles of communication. I've learned a very different style of communication that works for me, but I can't expect everyone to speak to me the way that I would want to be spoken to. But I think it's a good reminder to also just have kindness for everyone, especially the people that you don't know. And I always get that reminder of, you know, always be kind to those because you never know what anyone else is experiencing. Even the people that are having a terrible day, they're probably having a terrible day and probably being crummy because they honestly don't know any better. Or maybe someone hasn't been kind to them before. So they don't know what that feels like. And it's not until someone does that to them that they realize, oh, wow, like this is, it's kind of like a weird feeling for them to realize, like, oh, this is. How people interact. And I think that's kind of, it plants a seed that kind of grows for that person. And you asked, you know, I think it's funny that you asked about like relationships, because I think growing up, I was always scared that I would offend someone or I'd always be hyper, almost want to, I don't know if this is a word, but like hyper mindful of how I'm talking to someone. Or maybe if I say something afterwards, I'm like, was that too mean? Was that too aggressive? So now I think, you know, I'm so grateful. I'm very mindful of who I'm around, who my friends are. All my friends who I'm really close with right now, I'm very open with. And I think we all have very good, clear ways of communicating. So if there are any rifts, which I mean, in every relationship, no no relationship is 100% perfect. There's always going to be little squabbles here or there. But I think the most important thing is how can you handle those tense situations? Are you going to blow up? Are you going to blow up on each other? Or can you learn how to, I always like to say how to breathe through it and communicate. I think especially whenever I'm in a tense situation with someone, I always, before I respond back, I always take a second to breathe. So instead of snapping, I always just take a second, ground back down and then say what I want to say. So I kind of get the moment to think, okay, is what I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret later or am I speaking from my heart right now?
0: And is that something you feel is a product of how you've communicated with your brother?
2: Absolutely. And I think especially you know, as advocates for our community, I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's the reason why doing what I'm doing with Beyond the Waves and advocating for Down syndrome and so many other members of our community, it's doing so in a kind manner. And I always wanna, you know, I wanna educate from the way that I've learned from Michael. Michael is always very kind. He's very unconditionally loving, which I really love about him. And if someone comes up to him, it doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, their ethnicity, their religion, sexual orientation, doesn't matter what it is. Someone comes up to Michael in a kind manner, he'll reciprocate that right back to them. And I always, I look at that and I, I just admire that so much. And I think, how can I release my own unconscious bias that I may have? And how can I emulate that to the world? But also how can I communicate in a kind front, even when it's challenging, even when You know, I'm sure you've experienced this as well. Maybe we're in the grocery store and Michael bumps into someone and someone kind of gets in the way and then maybe they say a rude comment. Instead of snapping at that person, I just kind of dismiss it and think, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll get out of your way. Thank you.
0: So I don't go to all grocery stores anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, you know, you probably have a different experience since you guys are 24. Um, Grocery stores were definitely a, challenge and I think it's there's a there's a gamut of emotions that you experience especially when you have a new child Um, because we were we received more of people coming up and saying oh trisomy right or does he have down syndrome and you know you're just like I'm a private person to start with so people just coming into my space with these questions made me you know jump back and then as he got older the joy that people would feel. And then what I realized this week is we had an experience where we were working with a bunch of new people. And it was really beautiful because we had three different people at different times come up and say, please excuse, I might say the wrong words, but I I don't have a lot of experience with and they didn't even know to say someone with Down syndrome, like they, they were searching for the words to say.
1: They wanted you know, to do it right. They
0: wanted to do it right, which honestly, 11 years old when he was born, I don't feel like anybody cared if they did it right. Like 11 it years was, ago, no. 11 years ago, it was the words that came my direction. It, it stopped the whole grocery store experience. And it was so beautiful because I felt like it was a point where people were really interested and something shifted to where, you know, we know in the last couple of years, inclusion has really been on all fronts something that's, that's come to be important to the, in this world. I think that's what we're seeing is that if we don't have inclusion, boy, the world can be a crummy place, right?
2: Absolutely.
0: I feel like there's a shift where people are really concerned. They want to learn and they, they, they just don't have experience. And that's because of the lack of inclusion that's been. So I think it's our job to just say, that's the reality. You'd want it to be something different, but we can, the difference is changing, so let's make that the new reality. But in in grocery stores and things, um, it depended on the comment. And it depended on, we finally got to a point that we didn't want to be angry anymore. We understand that as everybody's doing their best. Sometimes people's best just falls short as to what, what you'd want, but it's always their best. That's why I always tell my daughter, I'm like, that's their best.
2: Absolutely. I think the biggest thing too, you know, like you're saying is inclusion takes a lot of work. You know, it doesn't, it's not a shift that just happens in the next year. Everything's perfect. Cause it's not, we learn so many habits and we learn so many things as children. And so many of these people out there, maybe they never experienced someone who has down syndrome or someone who has special needs in their lives growing up. So they have no idea what, it looks like, maybe the culture going around. I know the R word used to be so prevalent back in the day. And it was kind of just normal language almost. And for some people, maybe they'd never had someone speak up to them, say, hey, that's actually a little offensive to me. Like, do you mind using a different word? And I think especially for Michael, I'm learning, how can I educate and do so in a kind manner? And it's just being able to speak from a space of empathy and understanding, you know, they don't have the same experiences that I may have had growing up from that. You may have had from your child. It's funny that you mentioned the grocery store, because I think my perspective is a lot different from my parents. They take things a little bit more personally. They care more sometimes what people are thinking, or maybe they feel the eyes on them more. Whereas I don't care. I'm like, you want to look at us? Like, go ahead and look at us. Like, I absolutely don't care. I'll have like our camera out and I'll be taking pictures with them together and like taking selfies and having a great time. And I like, I think I've only had one or two experiences with someone where I'm like, oh, sorry, have a great day. And I just don't care. So I think I, maybe it's just because I've been born with him and just around him my whole life that like, I'm not phased by anything anymore with him.
1: I have to think that your parents went through some things 24 years ago that that was uh, they were in a mindset and put there by society that maybe they should be embarrassed or, you know, a different place than we are now.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, especially because my parents were, they were from Poland. So I'm sure advocacy there probably isn't the same as it is now. And I think even whether you're in America, whether you're in Europe, wherever, advocacy just wasn't at that same kind of level. And especially back two, three decades ago, it's nowhere the way it is right now. And I think, you know, they were 40 when they had Michael and I, so they're already kind of ingrained into their ways and didn't have the same kind of exposure that I'm so grateful I've been able to be able to have growing up.
0: Yeah. I, that's, that's the thing about inclusion. And I think you can say, you know, that there hasn't been a lot of inclusion and that's just something that, although the right has been there for some time and just really in the last couple of years becoming something that like a movement is a movement because mm-hmm. Liam is 11 since 3 he's been in the school system and there hasn't been a year that we haven't had to fight for his education that shouldn't be the reality anymore i can only imagine your parents what they experience coming from an, another country and what that dynamic is culturally especially 24 years ago, with disability and with Down syndrome. Down syndrome, I feel, has its own special niche in the disability world because there's such a push when a mother is pregnant to find out if their child has Down syndrome. The words that are said to parents are, you need to find out now so you can do something about it, as if those words would ever be spoken about any other child. And the way that resonates in a mother and in a family, it, it has a great impact.
1: Oh, even if you were never going to terminate a pregnancy, if you're told by professionals that let's find out because... Your um, child's
0: life is worth less. Well,
1: what mindset does that put you yeah. in, you know, for the continuation of your life and the child's life?
0: And I think that embarrassment, you know, honestly, it there is a sense where you could be embarrassed sometimes by behavior because, you know, when you see a neurotypical child in the grocery store and they throw a tantrum... People will go, oh. you know. But all it is is a tantrum, and kids have tantrums, and oh, a tantrum child. But if a child with Down syndrome has a tantrum, it's altogether something different. The weight of that is so much different, and the looks that people give. And as a parent, how you feel because you just want... To just, I mean, I, I we've been very fortunate. I'm really never through tantrums in grocery stores.
1: Our daughter did, our daughter did
0: <laughs> that was horrible, but everybody oh was goodness. like, Oh, so understanding. Oh, yeah, oh, that's the that terrible twos. Oh. But you know, I, I think that th- that's what we strive here for is for it not to weigh more on parents just because their child has a difference, a disability down syndrome whatever it is that it shouldn't weigh anymore and and you're right to actually come from a place where you say i i really don't care what you think <laughs> you know but even you know when you talk about the journey to full inclusion and to change there's still when anything is new there's those moments of it's a thing do you know when it becomes natural where you're just like it's my kid they're having a tantrum then you know you're fully included but until those feel like those initial feelings of who's looking, of the what's happening, go away, then we know we're still not in a fully inclusive world. And I can only imagine what your parents experienced twenty four years ago.
2: Yeah, and there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And I think you know, like you mentioned, it's a movement that's going to take so much work on each and every single one of us to continue to advocate. And I think the way that we advocate is really powerful the manner that we do. So I'm very much big on being advocating through kindness and advocating through space of love and compassion. That is something that I really stand by and I truly believe in. And I think by doing so in that kind of manner, we can really show why our community is so valuable, why our community is so important and why it is so valuable to keep around our society as well.
0: Well, it took me a long time. It took me until maybe Liam was six to get to that place, because there were so many other experiences. So that's really great that that's where you come from, from go. And maybe that's because you're the sibling, right? Um, We had different experiences. And then yeah, there was the, the moment where I said, anger doesn't change anything. I mean, I can still be angry at the injustice, but I can take the anger in and then how am I going to respond? And there's no other way to respond, but through love. Yeah. If you want to make a change, you know. I love
2: that you mentioned that because I think, you know, anger is really important. I'm someone that's still learning how to accept every emotion that comes through. And I think sometimes anger gets mistaken for like aggression or kind of negatively, but if you can take anger and you can do something better because of it, and if you can act from a space of love, You can do a lot with that. And there's so much that you can do. And especially, I think, with how much has been happening in our world the last couple of years and how many different movements are spiking up, a lot of that anger is bringing out a lot of beauty and a lot more movements that we can all be a part of that we can all support along the process.
0: I think that we have to get angry about injustice. I think that we have to get angry and acknowledge that it's wrong, whatever it is. And, you know, as women, anger was always, oh she's angry there and, she is again. And, there's a, again. and there's a name, you know what I mean? And it's going away and it's becoming unacceptable for people to say that. But you know, as a woman, we had to navigate that, hey, I have every emotion that every human has and it's okay. Like I, I find that for me to have those emotions, it was another thing of being just like the journey of inclusion. Like you have to deal with it. I'm sorry, but if you have a problem with me having all my emotions, That's not my problem. That's something that you should really look into. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I do think that you're absolutely right. Trying to do what was right often got misconstrued as something that you can walk all over. A weakness. A weakness. Don't misconstrue my kindness as a weakness because I'm gonna still be strong. I'm not gonna change who I am, but I can be this and still be angry about something to make a change
2: that's so important to be able to deal
0: uh, what is oh and then I wanted to talk about because you had you had mentioned that when you're at the beach if Michael hears somebody a baby screaming this is what I feel you know when I was talking about the grocery store if your child has a tantrum and they have Down syndrome it's it weighs so much more but I don't know an adult. <laughs> That doesn't hear a baby screaming at the beach and go,
1: If I was unfiltered, I'd go to the parents and say, get this baby away from me. (laughs) I'm trying to enjoy my day at the beach. Be quiet, baby.
0: And I think that there's a beauty there about just being honest about how you feel and if something's bothering you. And I think it's something that humanity needs because like when you were saying, when you leave, Michael doesn't have the words to express how he feels but I asked you how you felt when you left and it sounds like you guys share some of those same feelings but what if someone took away your ability to say Michael I'm gonna miss you or if you didn't have the ability to express that it's going to look very different
2: absolutely
0: for me, I feel like it's so important for us to understand how similar our journeys are. They just look a little different sometimes. And if if I think about what that would feel like, it immediately makes sense to me. It makes sense to me what behavior would come out. And even my behavior might even look different than what I'm actually feeling.
2: Totally. And I think too, you know, and I, I feel like this point has already been, put down already, but I feel like it's still something that we're still educating so many on is that those who have downstream, they're not always happy. Yes. I think they radiate joy so much better than a lot of us do. Cause I don't think, I think they're better at staying present and being in the moment and living and kind of experiencing joy where it needs to be expressed. But at the same time, they still experience the full range of emotions that you or I do. And just like you said, if you take out the ability to speak How are you gonna communicate that? For Michael, when he's upset, sometimes it's hitting himself. Sometimes it's trying to pull his hair out. And it's, you know, it does sometimes, I think to another person, it looks very dramatic and it looks very like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But when you're putting yourself in his shoes and you're kind of thinking for a second, well, what would I be doing if I couldn't talk? How would I be communicating with the world if I'm really upset, or I'm really angry, or if my tummy hurts, or if I'm just not feeling good today? Because not we don't all have good days. You know, I think some of us express it in different ways. We all express our our bad days or our good days differently. But if your words are taken away, how are you going to, I guess, express that kind of emotion? It's going to look very different than the way that you or I would do so.
0: Yeah. I don't know who started the, uh, rumor that just because you have Down syndrome, you're an angel and always happy. It was one of our challenges early on that people just thought that that was our experience to the point that one time we were just going to make a video of all the times that he threw a tantrum as a baby because it was like, you know, a
1: montage of just him, you know, hitting his sister and screaming and throwing food down or whatever,
0: just like she did. But I I think you nailed it on the head. Uh, It's just a realization I've had in the last year that it is a presence And a love that my son has is unconditional. So whereas somebody might see somebody be upset, but be afraid to say, hey, are you okay? Or comfort them or be loving as as neurotypicals. We tend to sometimes overthink it like, oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? Are they going to judge me? Is this going to be weird? Are they, you know, all of these things that we think, whereas if Liam sees someone hurting, he's present, he sees it and he'll go up and say, are you okay? And then in the last year he started to say, I'm right here. And I'm like, what if we all did that to each other? Mm -hmm. What if we all, like when we saw someone hurting or upset or needing help and you said, and if you just said, hey, are you okay? I'm right here. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, how, how would those words change humanity? If we all, you know, threw away all the other gunk that we overthink our love with. I think that's really the the love is a present love and an unconditional love.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, too, it kind of reminds me back to what you said earlier, is like if you lead through love, people reciprocate that and people will feel that. And I especially, you know, when you mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes people in the past or even right now, when they ask about our loved ones they get a little nervous or a little anxious because they're scared that they're going to use the wrong word or they're going to use the wrong phrase or say something offensive. And something I remind them is you caring, you taking the time to ask me the questions shows me that you care. And when you're doing some in the space of love, like, I love that. That's amazing. It shows me that you're supporting my community. And I, you know, I'm still working on this myself. And I can't tell you how many times I'll smile at someone or do something nice and I get shot down completely. You know, we've all experienced it and it's a terrible feeling. And I kind of learned over the past couple of years like, wow, how many times do I dim my own light because I'm scared that someone is going to already blow it out for me? If we're feeling joyful, we're feeling loving and we want to express that. You know, there's no reason to hide your love because most people are going to be open to that. Most people are going to be accepting to it. I think so many of us, as we grow up or we're in society and we're going through about our day by day, we've kind of I feel like we've lost the humanity aspect. Yeah. And I feel like our loved ones, like Liam or like Michael, reminds us that we all love to just be loved. We all love to see each other as another human being and stay connected. And when you can lead through love. It's kind of, it's funny how many things start to work out for you or how many connections you can build or how many days that you can make for other people when you leave from that kind of space. It's so valuable.
0: I think that's the key. And I think that I'd like to think I was this loving before Liam and this kind, but I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was, you know, before either of my children, this present and seeing the importance of being present and that the difference of being loving and kind to people, that that's really the the way we make the difference in the world. I don't I don't know if I, I knew that completely. you know?
1: Well, Julia, you come from a really empowering place because we talked earlier about how childhoods affect us, you know, how our educations or experiences or really what we were told as kids, you know, how that still resonates in us, even as parents of of a child with Down syndrome, how we still, I, I sometimes will fight some thoughts that were set in my mind, you know, as a younger person. And you're coming from experiencing from day one what we're talking about. And so it's really nice to hear you talk.
0: Do you remember when you realized that your brother had Down syndrome? And, and what it was like, can you remember any thoughts or feelings that you had?
2: Yeah. So I think my mom, my mom did an amazing job educating me really early on. I feel like the farthest back I can remember is maybe when we were about three. And I, I vividly remember her telling me before bed, like, oh, like, should always say like, you know, he has Down syndrome and we get to love him. We get to be there for him. We get to support him and we get to love him. And I think because of that, like I've, always, I never really questioned why Michael was different. I kind of just understood and I just fully accepted him so early on, I think because of that.
0: Can you remember and were there any differences between the way you were brought up and how Michael was brought up?
2: I always tell people I'm so happy I had Michael in my life because I feel like if I didn't have Michael, I would have been the biggest brat and I don't even want to know the person I'd be today without Michael. I know growing up when we were infants, when I still couldn't think for myself or do anything for myself yet, I know I was much more needier. Like we have videos and I think I cried like 90% of the time. Michael, I don't think Michael learned how to cry until like a year old. I was the one when we were growing up that wanted more attention, I think was the needier one. And then once I started kind of I'm laughing when I'm saying like growing up a little bit because when you're like two or three, you're not really much of a grown up. <laughs> but I think it started shifting a little bit more, especially as we started, you know, once we were about three years old and Michael started being able to walk and I was starting to kind of understand things a little bit more to my three-year-old mind's capacity. I kind of learned how to start helping my parents and taking care of Michael and still being there to support Michael. And I always, I always tell people, I feel like I learned how to be a mother growing up because I did learn how to be around my brother and learn how to support him or if he was ever upset or crying I always learned how to kind of be there to help him out or be there to give him a hug or just be there to be supportive you know it's funny because we being twins and I'm sure so many of you know this those who have downstream develop a lot slower than a typical child so whereas I started walking at about I walked pretty early at like nine or 10 months. I was already, I know when I was 10 months, I was already running around the house causing chaos. <laughs> Whereas Michael didn't walk until we were about three. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's difficult because I know so many parents who have children with Down syndrome really struggle with waiting. Like, when's my kid going to be able to walk? When's my child going to be able to do these certain milestones And, you know, I think for a lot of parents, you know, they were kind of comparing it to the kid that they might've had beforehand or to their friends' kids. Whereas for my parents, they had me literally there. They already had a comparison there already. So I can't even imagine what it was like for them. But I think once I was able to start understanding things at a better level, that's where, you know, Michael did start getting way more care. And I'm not saying my parents cared about me more than Michael at all. I was just a needy baby that cried and was annoying. I totally acknowledge that now, but I think once that kind of started dying down, you know, Michael did get a lot more care. But I don't, I don't really notice anything too crazy different from the two of us because I think I was already able to start supporting them with Michael.
0: What about your education? Did you get any? Did you see differences in your education or any opportunities that were given to you other than were given to Michael?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. I think we actually went to different elementary schools growing up. So I went to a K through eight school that was a little bit closer to our house and their special education program was honestly not amazing. I think their kids were a lot more, they were all verbal, but they were all less severely impacted. So they were more, I think their program wasn't as intense per se, whereas Michael needed a lot of support. He was completely nonverbal. He needed, he needed someone that was able to work at his level. But I don't think they did. I don't think our school district honestly did a great job with like what to do with Michael. So he went to a school that was, I mean, probably a little bit farther away, not farther away, maybe like a 12 minute drive instead of my five minute drive away from home kind of school. But he went to another school within our school district still. But he was in a class with kids who were in like preschool kindergarten age until we finished school. And I think there were times, you know, he when we were in 5th grade he went to a different school and this school it just it didn't really have a great rep in our elementary school district it was he ended up having kids like another student was drawing on him at recess and our parents were kind of like what is happening to Michael at school like what are these things and they would lie to us and they wouldn't even tell us what's going on so we had a that was super dramatic and we had to pull him out of that program take him to another school and then i think he ended up back in that school with the students who were a lot younger and i mean we loved that teacher she was phenomenal but it was kind of frustrating because she was kind of one of the only ones that like knew how to work with michael and so many other ones didn't and there was one time i remember michael actually got suspended once from school because he, you know, when he's upset, he doesn't express himself really well. Maybe he does get a little bit physical, but I I just, you know, I crack up about it now because I'm like, you guys really suspended him. Like you, that that's not how you handle these kinds of things. So I don't think our elementary school wise, I don't think they did a great job. You know, the school district, I don't think did a really amazing job with that. Once we were in high school, that was the first time we actually started going to school together. And the first year, he hated it. He absolutely hated it. Michael does not like change. Michael does not like change at all. He has his set of routines. He is so stubborn. And when he went to high school, I I will never forget you two. When I <laughs> I went to go get Michael at the end of the day, and I see his teacher backing away from the door, going outside, and I'm like, what is happening? And I see Michael walk into the doorway and he literally like does like a karate kick up in the air. and I'm like, Michael, my brother doing this. Like, what is going on? And so if Michael's ever kind of in an aggressive mood, as I would say, I'll always just go up and try to hug him and, you know, try to console him a little bit. But that first year was hard. He did not. That change for him was not something that he liked. I think our school district, once he we went to high school, I think did a way better job, at least having more one-on-one time with him. I love the student aides that worked with him every day. It was definitely, I think, a way better experience than our K-3 elementary program was. And they had, they started using, like, they had iPads for the students as well. So they'd have the Proloquo app on there to help work with, like, communication. With Michael, they would even, with the iPads, and that they did, which, was kind of a best way that we learned how to work with him was they would do a video. So if Michael was supposed to go somewhere and like maybe like work on like wrapping cookies or putting things away or learning how to vacuum a room, they would do a film. And in that video, they'd say, okay, Michael, this is your next step. You're going to do this. Then you'll do this. And they'll have a video showing him how to do everything. And they'd have Michael watch it a few times and then say, hey, Michael, can you go do this now? And he'd do it. So when we had our high school graduation, we did a practice walk the day before. And I mean, there's like 500 students, you know, it's it's not like a small little thing. So this is a big adjustment for Michael. And we had the iPad out. So we had the teacher walking with us and Michael was walking with me. So we would both walk together out there. And then the whole time his teacher saying, okay, Michael, you're gonna walk and do this. You're gonna do this with the students. And when we did the practice round, Michael did not want to go up onto the stage. So it took us a few times. It was a little like practice that we had. And then he was able to do it. And that entire night, I just kept replaying the film with him. I'm like, all right, Michael, this is what we're going to do. And when we had graduation the next day, it was awesome. He didn't look too happy in the picture when we had a smile at that top with our plaques, but or our diplomas, but he... Otherwise like that was such an amazing tool that we had. So I think in high school, that's where we started really seeing a lot more progressive work being done. I don't, I don't think I'd be too proud of what was going on in our earlier years.
0: How did it impact you to see Michael have success with the appropriate supports?
2: It was amazing. I remember they would, so like I said, the only like word I've really heard Michael say is hooray. And that was something that they like. They taught him after his first year was they'd say, hey, Michael, can you say hooray? And he would actually say, and it was kind of like, I just, I remember just seeing, oh my gosh, this is cool. Like, even if it's just one word, it means the world to me to see that someone's putting in the effort and someone actually cares about what's going on. You know, seeing someone who believes in what Michael can do and continuously working and his ability to be able to do things on his own is amazing.
0: We laughed uh, when you said he got suspended because I feel like (laughs) it's such a reflection of what happens. There's these low or no expectations put on our children, but then these difficult circumstances where nobody could find success. You could put a neurotypical child, a neurotypical adult in that environment and they would have regression and they would not succeed. But then we do that to our children who we know by the book need supports. And then, when possible, they're held so accountable for their actions that when they don't then rise to some insurmountable place, and they actually falter or behave like any of us would. They have the a consequence that's just ridiculous. Like a
1: consequence that didn't happen when he was a canvas for someone's doodling, when someone's drawing on him. Right. I mean, that's you know.
0: And I feel like when I'm I'm listening to to the K through eight experience, this is what we fight when we fight for an inclusive classroom for our child because this is what has happened historically to our children that they are not educated that they are not supported. The law states that every child has a right to an inclusive environment in their home school with the supports to access their curriculum. That's the law. But he wasn't given that. When he was moved into high school and given just a little bit of support, every place that you've told me that he had support, he succeeded. So what if we went back and he was supported the whole time? He'd be a different person. Yeah. He would have had a different journey. What does it do to you, Julia, if you went into a room and you weren't allowed to talk, but somebody was allowed to draw on you, people were allowed to say things to you, you were in an inappropriate environment with you had no nobody to model. You're I modeling
1: mean, kids that are kindergartners or preschool, you know, or with other TK, behaviors.
0: I mean, I mean what, what would that how would that have impacted you? You know, and I, and that's why I look at you and you're this, you're just, you're, you're articulate, you're kind, you're vibrant. Yes. I don't know. Your attitude is so refreshing. Some of just the things that you've been given as a sister to Michael, as far as how you are mindful of how you speak to others, not just Michael, you go into the world. I mean, you're talking to us today and you're, you know, that that's who you are in the world. That's the, the gift that you've been given but the school system didn't give those gifts to Michael and it was the law then and it's still the law and it's still something that that parents have to fight for i wonder how much you were impacted when you you could see your brother succeed if you would have seen that your whole life or how did that change how everybody looked at your brother when he was able to do what everybody else was doing and he was the only reason that made it is because he was just given what he was supposed to have the whole time right
2: Yeah. And there's so many different aspects to look at too. And I think it's so important that they get the resources they need early on, and especially at the level that they are. And I don't think, you know, Michael had the full accessibility to that growing up. And I think something I would have also wished to have seen, and I say this because, you know, the reason I started my blog and the reason I started advocating was after my freshman year at UCSD, you know, I'm meeting other students, we're talking about our families and I can't tell you guys how many people would ask me, what's Down syndrome? I wanted the top universities in the world. And you know, instead of getting angry about it, it kind of made me wonder like, okay, this is stemming from something. A lot of it's because there hasn't been enough inclusion. There hasn't been enough talk about this. There hasn't been enough advocacy growing up. You know, I think about our schools and I remember people, are, I mean, kids are mean. Sometimes they're really nice, but kids can be really mean we all get bullied growing up and I know it's a huge issue and there's so much more work to be done in that space but I remember like around my peers like people would say like oh they're the special kids and kind of like making fun of them and it's they're kind of like in their own world in a sense and it's like people would look at them from afar as if it's like a whole different entity or different people like not even seeing them as human anymore and for myself it was kind of like hey like my brother could be there like you know, maybe he's not at our school with us, but that could easily be someone like my brother. So I'd always have to tell people like, by the way, but also like, I can't say if I didn't have Michael in my life, I would have probably been saying the same exact things to be honest with you too. If I didn't have someone educating me or if I didn't have that kind of the living example with me in my life, I could have easily been saying the same things or wondering the same exact things. I wish and what my hope is, is that you know, in high school, one program that we had that I wish I knew about earlier was they would, we would get to choose electives. And one of the electives was you could be a student aide to work with the kids like Michael. So some of my friends would actually be able to work with Michael and have a class or they'd support him and do crafts with him or do whatever. And I just, I wish there was so much more inclusivity at an earlier level. When kids are already in kindergarten or first, second grade, those years are so important. And I just, I wonder how different would our world look like if we already started inclusion at that earlier age? We still got, you know, there's advocacy we have to do for the people right now who don't even know about our community, but there also needs to be advocacy done at a younger level earlier on. So that in earlier generations, we don't have to have the R word discussion anymore. We don't have to have so many discussions we're already having because it's already going to be ingrained for kids earlier on and they're already naturally going to be educating others And they don't need to have someone directly in their lives like liam or michael to have to do so
1: well we know the numbers we know it's like one out of a a thousand or 900 kids are born with down syndrome those numbers don't reflect what we see in school well um i never went to school with a with a child with down syndrome we're talking in the in the past but even you're talking about your peers in college that maybe asked what down syndrome is then they definitely did not have anybody in their classroom with down syndrome And, you know, we've had a teacher that was in the school system for 30 years, and Liam was her first student with Down syndrome. So, yeah, how do we expect real change when that inclusion isn't happening?
0: Well, when you say that it felt like they were in a different world, they're put in a different world. But the thing is, is the real truth is, is they're pulled from our world. Yeah, literally. They're They're not a part of our world. And everything that you talk about, about inclusion, those laws were put into place in 1975. IDEA was created. The educational rights for our children and every child with a disability, they were supposed to be getting, they're supposed to receive the supports they need to access their curriculum. And it's a it's a fight that we've had since Liam entered into the district because as soon as He entered into the school system. They tried to do what, you know, they did to Michael. They tried to pull him and put him in a special day class with an inappropriate environment with children who had, that he didn't have, it would have impacted him differently. It would have impacted him negatively. He didn't have anyone to model after, but they tried to do that. And no matter how wrong it is, how unlawful it is, they continue and they still continue to squash those uh, civil rights of an education. And the hard part is that the parents that they do it to are parents who, I mean, you know your parents. They have enough, and they're trying to navigate the challenges and support their children at home. And so to then put the energy into that fight can be exhausting, and I think, honestly, that's what the school system relies on what's easiest for them to make that the reality. It's not Michael and Liam aren't the only ones who suffer. It's the entire world. It's everybody who who misses out on anybody who's different and has something else to offer, right? Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, when they're taken, you say taken out of our lives, I mean, physically in a class, uh, maybe you know they should go to their homeschool, but that might not even be an option sometimes. But even in their home school, a lot of times kids are taken from our community and put in another room that's usually in the back, you know, someplace that's kind of treated far away. Treated differently, not treated receiving differently, the same opportunities. Not, doesn't have the same play area. They don't have the same curriculum. They don't have the same books. Yeah. So that entire generation of kids are going to think of them as different and, and... And not in a good way. And no, different and apart, not part of them, not part of our community.
0: And the truth is, is children and even adults, adults make fun of things they don't understand. And when kids don't understand something, that's just a, a normal place that people go. And honestly, if society showed them anything different, then they wouldn't go there.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of work um, we got to do. We There's, you know, there's so much work we still have to do and to continue educating and continue showing, you know, our loved ones still deserve the same exact rights, still deserve so much that maybe they're just not having the access to right now.
0: And it's their, but you know, Julia, it's, it's their right.
1: That's when I talk about movements, you know, like there's been a lot of movements that seem really great and that we're making a lot of change and then decades go by and then we're having the movement again. I mean, we're talking about this summer, Black Lives Matter. We're talking about, Uh, Trying to jump on uh, inclusion. I mean, the inclusion has been a thing. We're talking about seventy-five when idea happened. That you know, but there were things before that. Women's movement that we're still dealing with. I mean, it's that's why I want to talk about momentum and really try to keep it going. And I think that this younger generation can help push that. Yeah, it is about awareness.
2: I love my generation. I feel like my generation is doing a good job of at least keeping things going and starting to really look at things and kind of think why is this set the way it is what can we change what can we do you know it is difficult you know there's so many things that happened last year that were really challenging on so many fronts and just terrible to see and got a lot of us angry and kind of going back to what you said earlier that anger I think was fueled in a beautiful way and we have seen so much unity in our community that we maybe didn't have beforehand and I you know I think I don't think the momentum has fizzled off per se for some of these movements I think it's still going but I'm proud of my generation for still being active and still being not even just active but proactive and looking at other communities and saying how can we support these other movements not just our own movement that we're dealing with internally but how can we support others around us because when we support other movements that's how we gain the support for our own as well
0: well, I always tell our daughter, I'm so excited. She's, she's going to be 14 and I'm so excited for the world she's going to grow up in. And I love your generation. I know you guys get a lot of flack, but I love your generation because I feel like you have an entire generation that calls people on their garbage, that speaks from the heart. And I love that, that it's like, it, that, you know that's wrong, right? You know that you can't do that. You can't say that. You know that everybody has the right to be themselves. It's like the generation kind of has risen up together to finally say, hey, let's fix the planet. Hey, let's be inclusive. Let's make sure you know everybody has their rights. Let's not, you don't get to squash them.
1: Yeah. The generation gets called out for being like too sensitive or, uh, I think you know, people uh, have
0: been too insensitive yeah, for a very, very long why, time. Why do
1: we have to put up with this stuff?
0: I hear it all the time and I'll, and I'll be the one again, just like I'll advocate for my son. I'll be like, I think it's beautiful because they're speaking. Yeah. They're saying no. They're saying no and forcing that change. And if it's not forcing a change, you're at least making people look at the situation. Exactly. On, on all fronts. I think it's beautiful. I'm so excited for the world that both my son and daughter get to grow up in. Because even even Liam, I mean, we're very fortunate that we do advocate him for him. Uh, we were fortunate for the people who were in our lives when he was very young uh, that were his teachers that taught us to be advocates like, I'm telling you that it's Michael's civil right. And I watched your face just go, what? <laughs> you know, like, they we knew that. So we knew that it was part of the law. So we had that going into it. I get to see Liam having a different journey maybe than other people had in the past. And just to know that that's happening now for more people. That Thinking
1: of the child that's born with Down syndrome today. what Look advantages. at the examples that
0: are out there. Look at the the abilities and and slowly i always think of that i don't know if you know the claymation the santa claus is coming to town oh yeah and you know how they have the burgermeister meister burger and then at the very end you see like the burgermeister and slowly his archaic thoughts just like diminish and then the pictures are gone and then he's gone and all the kids are happy and playing together that's kind of that's how i that's how i
1: yeah, that whole generation just kind of goes away.
0: All that well—that's very morbid. No, well, I mean the—I <laughs> meant the archaic, archaic the ideas, um, of. ideas, and like you were saying about squashing people's light and, and limiting others coming from this place of fear, which is you know that's what I see when I see the Burgermeister and Santa Claus is coming to town. But I, I feel like that's that's what that's the shift. And, and it makes me really happy to think that there's a parent out there now with a child who's being born, who won't have the same, you know, journey that your parents had or that we had, that their, their path is going to be filled with hope. They're going to have the supports that they need. And that just makes me happy.
2: Yeah. I think there's a lot more promising things from the future and there's still, there's so much work that still gets to be done, but I think you can already start, start to see the work that has been done kind of starting to go into fruition. And we're just, we're still planting seeds. It's kind of the best way I like to think of it. We're still planting seeds and it's gonna take some time for them to grow. But I think once they start to flourish, we're all gonna be living in such a bigger, brighter place.
0: Now you had mentioned how you you would hear some of the students in your high school speak about the special kids. How do you feel that your brother was and is treated in society?
2: I mean, now, like, I I don't really, I don't want to say I don't notice it as much. I think now I've become, I guess, like such a guardian for Michael that I don't really notice as much, like how he's being treated by others because I'm already there. And I know, like, I feel like I'm such a strong force that someone tries to belittle him. I'm going to be like, ah, uh-uh, not with me being here. Like I'm a big mama bear. Don't you dare do anything with him. I mean, the biggest thing is Michael is someone who can never be alone. He always needs someone there with him. So I think I think if he was with someone that's really able to stand up for him, I'm able to like trust that person. But I think there's still a long ways to still go, especially, you know, I'm sure you've heard even in like doctor's offices, a lot of doctors don't know how to handle those who have disabilities. Still, especially someone who's nonverbal like Michael, there's so many steps that need to be taken and so many things to look at that they may not even be studying fully in school. And there's so many things that you still need to kind of understand.
1: So uh, what have you seen changes in regards to the perception of Down syndrome in your lifetime?
2: I think, you know, especially growing up, I think a lot of people didn't know about it. And I mean, it's also, you know, you have to understand, I was a kid back then. So the people I really knew and the perceptions that I heard from were from my peers who were also younger. You know, back then, I think some people may have thought like maybe they're weird or something's different, something's off. Whereas now I think maybe, especially because I advocate so much, like I held last weekend was downstream awareness day and I held like my own little webinar, kind of sharing the lessons I've learned with Michael and a few of my friends showed up and it was so refreshing. I always had, I had every person introduce themselves and share what their experiences was if they had a loved one who has downstream or if they know someone who has it. And it was so nice to hear a couple of my friends share. I actually never knew anyone until I met Julia and Michael and I'm actually able to understand what Down syndrome is and I can actually share about it with my friends. And I realized like how amazing is it that if you just educate one person and that one person can go educate their friends and tell another person, oh, this is what Down syndrome is. This is what's so awesome about these individuals. Like, yeah, of course we should include them. How much that impact can make. I think there's been a big change in the last few years. And I think of course there's still a long way to go and of course, you know, when I was in school, there there's still some people who didn't know what Down syndrome is. And so it was kind of upon me to be able to educate them and let them know, oh, by the way, this is what it is. And now those students are able to educate others about what Down syndrome looks like, about what Down syndrome is. And I think it's it's a positive shift. And there's still a lot more work that gets to be done. But there definitely has been changes that have been made.
1: Well, you say there's more work to be done. What changes would you like to see?
2: Like I said earlier, I would love to see more inclusivity in schools. I would love to have this be done earlier so we don't have to back educate people later on. Start that education earlier so that kids already see and absorb and understand this is totally normal. This is, we're all different, but we're all the same. This is great. We get to embrace our differences and know that we're all human. And how beautiful is that? So, that's, I think that's like one of the biggest things I'd love to see is just more inclusivity done at a younger level
0: so Julia since it is the law how do we make that change it's been a law for a long time how do we do that
2: yeah I mean I wish I could tell you you could just wave a wand and do that you know I think it is it's a process to do so there's a lot of things to consider and you know when I hear you saying that like I don't When I'm looking, when I'm thinking back to like my education certain years, especially when I was in like middle school, we'd go to different classes and see different teachers. Michael would not have been in every one of those classrooms with me. It wouldn't have made sense for Michael to be in my history class doing the same level of history that I was doing because he wouldn't have known what was going on. So I do think like in certain cases, like they need to be in the classes and they need to be in curriculum that are fitting to their needs and at their level, but also in a way that's not, not what Michael had where he's in classes with kids who were in kindergarten. That didn't make sense. But could he have been put in the space that would have been more empowering for him? But there are other places, like I think in my high school, I'm thinking to like my art class, there could have been, there easily could have been someone like Michael in there with his student aid, but there never was. What about in my PE class? Like what about in certain classes? Like there's so many opportunities for someone to be there already, but there wasn't. Where could there's, you know, there's already places where you can start that inclusivity earlier on.
0: But what if their place was right next to you just with the supports that they needed?
2: You know, I totally, I get what you're saying, but I'm also, you know, I'm trying to think like it would be a different curriculum at the same time.
0: Well, uh, they do have an alternate curriculum that they do offer, but our son's still on curriculum and he's only on curriculum because they've tried to pull him off since he was in kindergarten but we've said no and we've supported him. And it wasn't until this pandemic where we were the ones next to him, making sure that he had the supports that he need, that he actually, he gets the score.
1: You definitely can't leapfrog to high school history class. If you've never been given it's, support. But it's every grade level to have the support. And then we don't even know what the supports are going to be in high school history, right? But when we're there... We have a framework that that he could participate, right? And he can be with his peers. Now, I know Down syndrome affects people in in a wide range of, of ways, but I feel like if we do this from the beginning, just like the education and the inclusivity that you talk about at an early age, as we build this framework past high school to college to live in an entire life, that needs to start early because, yeah, it's almost nearly impossible to leapfrog.
0: If you had never been given any kind of curriculum, you know, I, I don't know if Michael was taught to read. I don't know. But like if you were never given any of those. And also, I'm thinking that I know there is a, a large spectrum of ability, but if you had never received any of that education and then you were put into high school history, it wouldn't be fair to you, right? Yeah, So I think that even when I'm listening to you talk, and I I think, honestly, you're absolutely right. If someone is at a certain place where the standard curriculum isn't accessible and they're on an alternate curriculum, but they can still be in your classroom just doing a different curriculum.
1: That's the basic. They can still learn about what you learn about in history, but in a different way. In a different way,
0: right? But then also when when you're saying, well, he could be in my art class and in my PE class, Yeah, that should just be a given, like everybody, because as far as art and music and all of that, that just affects us and our development in so many different ways. Uh, But I want the world to see that, why shouldn't Liam be in the classroom with Julia? And why is it just totally negated that he might be actually just learning the same things you are, just with some supports? That should be always a possibility. Now, if we get there and, okay, well that's not what we're going to do, then we're at least going to still be in the classroom with Julia. But uh, let's make the lesson a little bit about this. Let's let's hone it down. But we should definitely still be together. I don't want to just see Liam in PE and art. I want to see Liam next to you. And he's going to be inspired. And you're going to learn from him. And you're going to be inspired.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially starting earlier on, that makes a huge difference. And kind of I think the earlier you start, it's so much better, and starting to see that inclusivity and starting to have that already starting on so earlier, that makes a huge, huge impact.
0: Oh yeah, inclusion inclusion is a is a big deal. Inclusion is a big deal. Edu, being educated, receiving the supports—that's so important to my son, but then for society, for the people he encounters. I, I mean, I, I think the well, impact.
1: I, I always think for Liam, we know he can read. We 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 knew we didn't always know like exactly how he was gonna read, but we tried and he showed us he can read. If we didn't attempt uh, through repetition, 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 we hadn't attempted that, then I'm guaranteeing him that he isn't gonna be able to read. Now he's in in fourth grade. I'm guaranteeing that in fourth grade he's not reading. And the, and how do I go backwards? And I just see a child that I know now at 11 is reading, enjoys reading. This particular child, this isn't everybody, of course, but that particular child could have easily been told in first grade not to really even attempt that. And then we're guaranteeing, yeah, then we're going to guarantee that, that he's not reading. Of course, everyone's different, you know, but I just see it in my own child that what I was told five years ago, what to do, and we didn't. I see his potential come to fruition.
0: The reality is different than what we were told. It's, you know, I understand that is it that you don't just wave a magic wand and that it doesn't just change, but I think it's the same with the civil rights movement. It's no longer acceptable that these things are a process. The process time is done. The process
1: is only convenient for people that don't want, that to, do don't want to do it. That don't want to. do It's only convenient right? for the quote-unquote typical section of our community that just goes, uh eh. It doesn't affect me. Well, so,
0: well, baby steps. Well, it's been over 40 years. Yeah. How many babies? How when are you going to grow up those, and take adult steps? Right. I, and the reason I say this, Julia, is because I just had this conversation with another parent that was like, oh, well, look what they're doing. And and there was, you know, three, these, this one kid had great success. And I was like, if you looked at the neurotypical population of children and you said, hey, that one kid, Johnny, he passed. There'd yeah, be here's an one uproar. There, yeah, people would be just yeah. like. that's not what's going on in the school. If only one child that we can't, that's not to be exalted. Where are we failing them? But they don't do that with our community. You go to
1: a high school and say, you have a 10% success rate of, of going to college. They'll be like, Oh wow. 10% of going to college. Fantastic. No, that that doesn't, no one's going to that high school. But they
0: don't do that with our community. With our community is like, uh, well, one person that's, Hey, it's yeah, like, look, no, he they, did it. But that was the one—the one person who succeeded was the one person who had the supports that he—that everybody is supposed to be given. That's my argument of the week. Is just like if I tell my daughter to go clean her room and she comes out four times, on the fifth time I'm like, "You've had your time. It should be clean." And that's kind of how I feel about inclusion. It's been the law. It's time to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's on every every movement that's out there. Yeah.
1: How annoying is it for a white man to say? To people of color, like, well, you know, we're getting better.
0: Because when was the 14th Amendment passed?
1: Yeah.
2: So far ago.
0: (laughs) So long ago. Okay, so the time's done. Like, you've had your time to process that. We're all equal, period. You know? Um, Totally. That's
2: me, though. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Julie, I really want to... Yes,
0: we want to know what this Beyond the Wave is. Yes,
1: I want to talk to you about that.
2: Oh, beyond the waves. That's our blog that we created. So I started that after my freshman year at UC San Diego. So I think that was six years ago now. And I did it cause like I said, I had students that I met who had no idea what down syndrome was. So I figured this would be a great way to kind of share a little bit more of our story and kind of share a little bit more about the beauty behind down syndrome and the reason for beyond the waves and the name behind that is cause like I mentioned, Michael loves the ocean. That was one of our happy places. And when I was in college, I was also an NCAA swimmer. And, you know, I kind of thought, I kind of tried to find like a something to almost mirror my experience with Michael. And I always thought, you know, when you're a, swimmi- a swimmer and you're out in the ocean, those waves can be really tough. There are waves out there that are really challenging. And I kind of equated those to moments with Michael, where sometimes there are moments that are really difficult and there are moments that are challenging. When you look beyond those waves and you look at the beauty behind it all, it's really there's a lot of beauty behind it, you know, and there's been tough moments with Michael, but there's so much beauty and I would never, I'm just, I'm so grateful for my experience with him and I wouldn't have had it any other way. And so that's what beyond the waves is. And before I would do a lot more written blog posts. And now, you know, I kind of mainly keep it on our Instagram account and share pictures and more the lessons I've learned from Michael and released a podcast late last 2020. And just kind of sharing our message and doing interviews as well and kind of sharing a little bit more behind our community and what it really looks like.
1: Well, tell us about your podcast. What's the name of it? And I'll I'll put all this in the show notes too.
2: Oh, thank you. So our podcast is also Beyond the Waves. I released it last October in honor of Down Syndrome Awareness Month. My topics are more of like the lessons I've learned from Michael. So in patience, perspective, unconditional love, being present. And I'm also adding guest interviews as well, just to share more stories because I think stories are so powerful and we start to listen to the stories of others. That's why we really get to expand our own perspective and get to have a better understanding of the world around us.
1: I agree 100%. So well said, Julia.
2: Thank you.
0: And we're going to put the name of your podcast and blog.
1: And a link to it. And a link
0: to it in our show notes. And I think that's a great tool for parents, for families too. This is the voice of someone whose twin brother has Down syndrome. And I think that to me, that alleviates so many fears and concerns, right? Look at you. The person you've become. The person you've become, you know? um, What would you say directly to those parents whose concern is for the impact on their family and other children?
2: I get this question all the time. The thing is, I can't give the same answer for everyone because everyone's experiences are so different. I think one thing that parents kind of look at is they don't want their child to become a caregiver in a sense, and they want their child to live their own individual life. And there's a way to be able to do that. And I'm I'm really grateful that I've been able to be so supportive with Michael because it's made me a lot more confident that I can support myself. And especially as I go through life and life is going to be hard sometimes knowing that, okay, I have the skills and I have the tools to do this, but I think it's, I think there's so much beauty. And I remind parents, like, cause I used to sugarcoat things. I used to be very what is it? Toxic positive. What is, I used to be very, I used to do a lot of toxic positivity where I'd only share like the good, happy things. It's kind of, it's almost like that person that says like, Oh, people who have Down syndrome are always happy. That's, that's a very toxic positive thing to say and kind of ignoring everything else. So I'm doing a better, I'm working on doing a better job of sharing, like there is going to be difficult moments, but I think in those moments of adversity, that's where we really get to grow. And that's where we get to see a lot of beauty come from those moments and I just, I always reassure them, there's so many beautiful things that's gonna come out of it there. I think so many people get really scared that the siblings are gonna represent each other. That hasn't been my experience. And I think if parents do a good job of creating an inclusive place for their children in right a way, but also letting them know, like my mom told me that we get to love Michael earlier on. And as long as parents are able to do a good job of balancing the support for that individual, I think there's a lot of beauty that can come out of it.
0: Um, I love toxic positivity. I wrote that down. I love love the term. When you were talking about the, the shift, like we had to shift because we were full adults. We'd gone through our whole life. And, you know, inclusion, I didn't have anybody, you know, growing up in my classrooms. Neither did Steven. You know, most siblings, they have to make a shift, right? And I was just looking at you going, what a beautiful journey you've had, because you are your own person with your own voice, but you are such a, a representation of also Michael, you are as an advocate, his voice. But, you know, the words that you speak, I couldn't, I can't help but think that what a gift that is for him, because you are an intricate part, you're so interwoven.
1: He speaks to you.
0: Yeah. He speaks through you. It's just so beautiful. I I just, it just dawned on me when you were saying how everybody else has to adjust it's like from go, you guys were, you're there and split and here you are. It's, you know, it's how beautiful.
2: I, I honestly, I would never have had it any other way. I like, I told you, I don't even want to know who I'd be without Michael. <laughs> I, I just, I cannot say how grateful I am. Like I feel like there aren't enough words to express the beauty behind growing up with someone like Michael. And I just, I guess for parents or anyone listening who is wondering or who is kind of worried, like I just, I guess just promise them to trust that things will work out just the way they are meant to be. And they'll work out in such a beautiful manner that you may not even, you may not even be able to comprehend now, but you'll understand down the road.
1: Well, thank you, Julia, so much for joining us today. It
0: has been such a treat.
2: Thank you. And thank you both so much. I just. I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your perspectives and just allowing me to share my own perspective, but also hearing yours as well is so beautiful. So thank you.
1: Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com to send us an email with questions and comments